0: John chapter 9, we're going to be reading through verse 23, but not to start, I'm just going to read through verse 12, and then we'll pick up uh, the other portion as we go through the text. So with me, uh, John 9, verse 1, now as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, neither this man nor his parents sinned. But that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the man with, uh, the blind man with the clay. And he said to him, go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated Sent. So he went, washed, and came back seen. Therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is not this he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. He said, I love this, I am he. I'm the guy. Therefore they said to him, How were your eyes open? He answered and said, A man called Jesus. That right there could be a sermon title. A man called called Jesus and made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And so I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, where is he? He said, I do not know. Let's pray again. Father, we ask again for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's been present in our worship, been present in our fellowship, been present in our prayer. And Lord, I pray that you would anoint this time. You'd anoint your word. You'd anoint me, your servant. But Lord, remove me from the equation that each person might hear from you and you alone, myself included, Jesus. We need a man named Jesus to speak directly to us by your word, the living word. We pray that you would anoint and speak to each heart what they need. Those that know you will be drawn near to you. Those that don't know you would come to know you as their Lord and Savior. We ask this in your name. Amen. Amen. We left off in chapter 8 last week where Jesus had just spoken the powerful and unprecedented words before Abraham was, I am. Affirming that he was not only sent from God the Father, but he in fact was God the Father, the true and living God who had said to Moses there in the burning bush, I am that I am. And not only was Jesus long before Abraham, he was eternal. He's the eternal God outside of time that had called Abraham to the very land where the temple was now sitting. Where the temple was, whereas God had called Abraham from Ur to that very land, Jesus says, I was long before Abraham any of that, long before the world was even spoken into existence. The Pharisees, of course, if you remember from last week, the Pharisees were furious. Immediately they attempted to stone Jesus. But John writes that Jesus himself went right past them. He hid himself. It says he hid himself and went right past them out of the temple, the very end of chapter 8. Now, whether Jesus made himself invisible or unseen for a few minutes, we don't know. Whether he caused the Pharisees just not to be able to see him. Remember, in the Old Testament, Balaam could not see the angel, but the donkey could. So Jesus could have made the Pharisees like Balaam. If you're going to be false, you can't even see. And then they could see everybody else but Jesus. We don't know how this worked. Or Jesus did blend in with the new believers and we're not told. John doesn't tell us. He says he hid himself. I personally, as I mentioned last week, I believe it was supernatural. I believe it was on the supernatural because when he said, I am, I believe it was an exclamation point to it. But again, I won't know for sure until we get to heaven. We'll find that out. But as we open chapter 9, we know for a fact that Jesus is now outside the temple because it tells us in the end of chapter 8 that he moved from the temple to outside the temple. We don't know now if the disciples, as he's about to engage this man, we don't know if the disciples have walked out with Jesus or they've now rejoined with Jesus and say, how did you get out here? We don't know. John kind of doesn't tell us any about, anything about that uh, intermission there, if you will. But as they begin walking with Jesus, this extraordinary day is not over. Everything we saw last week in chapter 8 was in the same day as this event. For one desperate man that you see in the text, it's going to be a day he's never, ever going to forget. And if you're taking notes, you see the title this morning, uh, The One Who Opens Eyes. Most of us, if not all of us, if we had just had the type of intense confrontation with the Pharisees that Jesus had just had, this back-and-forth, ping-pong, tug-of-war of doctrine where, obviously, Jesus dominates the conversation with truth, they dominate the conversation with accusations, but it escalated to a near-attempted murder. They were about to stone Jesus before he says, no, it's not my time, and poof, next thing we see is outside the temple. Most of us, if we even just had that kind of dialogue we would be wiped, wouldn't we? You ever had just a day at work where you had just deep meetings and conversations that were just draining you? They weren't even confrontational necessarily. When it's confrontational, it's even another level of just exhausted draining. By the way, not only do other people drain you, you and I drain other people. So just keep that in mind. (laughs) Just keep that in mind. Almost all of us, though, after that would need to take a minute, if not the whole rest of the day, say, I'm off the clock. I'm not doing anything else today. But not Jesus. He wasn't deterred, nor was he delayed in continuing to do the work of the ministry and the will of the Father on that day or on any other day. As Jesus would say on the cross later, it is finished. Jesus would never finish a day until the day was actually finished. And as he and the disciples pass by the buzz of people that are coming in and out of Jerusalem, and specifically the multitudes and throngs that would come around the temple area, Jesus sees a man, but the man can't see Jesus. He sees a man, and the man has no idea that Jesus is looking at him. And among the throngs of people, Jesus sets his eyes on this one man that would be ignored by many people maybe pitied by some and as Jesus looks at him the disciples they immediately are aware that Jesus and his full attention is squarely on this one individual. There to be throngs of people but they can tell that Jesus focused on just this one man now we don't know if the disciples would have walked right past him or not But they definitely see that Jesus is focused on this man who is obviously blind. And he's positioned himself there where there's a lot of foot traffic. He's positioned himself there hoping for alms, hoping that people would give him a charitable gift. And the mention of him uh, in verse 2 that says he's been born blind, the mention of him being blind from birth tells us that possibly part of his lament to people walking by is, I've been blind from birth. It's not just a short-term condition. This has been his entire lifetime. We don't know. At any rate, he's just hoping for any gift, any help, any bit of compassion, having no idea that the man that's looking at him, because again, he's blind. He doesn't know anyone's looking at him. But the man that's looking at him can help him beyond his wildest Imagination or comprehension. And most of the people you pass every day have no idea how much Jesus can help them. They have no idea. It's true of every single person that you and I walk right past that is yet to personally encounter Jesus Christ. They have no idea that the Lord is looking at them no matter what they've done, whether they're in prison, whether they're doing great, whether a millionaire, a billionaire, or just a middle-class American. If they don't know Christ, they have no idea that God's looking right at them right now with compassion. That's why they're still alive. If you're taking notes, just two things this morning. The first to look at this morning, I've titled the first section of the text and then we'll we'll cover verses um, 13 through 23. But the first section of the text, hopeless then healed. No one wants to feel hopeless. As the disciples notice Jesus' attention and they notice its focus on this one blind man and knowing Jesus' power. The disciples, they've seen Jesus heal thousands of people. They've seen him feed 5,000 more with with women and uh, children, more than likely closer to 15,000. They've seen Jesus do the supernatural. They've seen him turn water into wine. They've seen him do incredible things. You might think the first question the disciples have to Jesus Considering he's looking at a blind man, you might think the first thing they would say to Jesus is, Lord, would you please heal this blind and hopeless man? Nope. They decide to be scholars. Instead of, rather than intercessors, you and I are called to intercede for people. Not figure out all the ways that they got to where they're at. And I can't figure out all the ways they got to where they're at. We can't even figure ourselves out. How would we figure everybody else out? Their first thought is to know why he's in that state rather than appeal to the one who can get him out of that state. Lord, my prayer for us is to make us as Covered Chapel believers merciful. Uh, in the heart of God, not like, just kind of like a pseudo-mercy, but really the mercy of God. Now their question may have very well been sincere. I think it was. I think they really were asking, Lord, is it his parents' sin, or is it his sin? With some level of pity for the man. I'm sure they had some level of pity. They had been saved. There's a change in the disciples. But it was a theological question that they were asking with the foregone conclusion that his condition wasn't going to change. It would remain brother and sister, let's not have a foregone conclusion that the people we meet cannot be changed Amen. and will not be changed. We, we shouldn't have that foregone conclusion. My good uh, messianic friend, a brother in Christ, Dr. Michael Hertz, uh, spoke here several years back and, and he was living in Norfolk that time, pastoring a church down there and then took on a ministry in, in New York City and now he's uh, in South Florida Uh, But he used to tell me, look, when I meet people that don't know Jesus, they don't know Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. He goes, I consider them pre-believers. Just I'm praying as I'm talking to them that they are pre-believers and God's going to reel them in. But the disciples, their question was really based on the doctrine of the Pharisees, the very men that Jesus had just strongly rebuked uh, back in chapter 8. The disciples, now we know they're now saved. They're not Pharisees. But they still had some of the remnants of pharisaical doctrine of doctrines of men. That's what Jesus coined that phrase. He called the doctrines of men were things that were not in the law that men had added to the law. And they were taught like they came from God. God God's like, I never gave any of this to you. There was no verse that said that um, because of this disease, you must have committed committed this kind of sin or something like that. They would look at, for example, if they saw a colony of lepers, they would think that that colony of lepers all committed certain grievous sins. But in fact, you had lepers that were devout followers of God that still got leprosy. You ever met good things or bad things that have happened to good people? Of course. But this was a doctrine of the Pharisees, men that Jesus had rebuked, And some of these remnants of the doctrines were still rolling around the disciples' head. I mean, when people get saved, they are not completely trained and discipled. They have to get rid of certain things and say, you know, I know you were taught that, but that's not a verse in the Bible. It's just not a verse. Um, So the question that the disciples asked, whose sin is it, his or his parents? Misguided as it may be, becomes a teachable moment before it's going to become a life-transforming moment. And notice the confidence in which the disciples ask the question uh, to Jesus. They're like, Jesus, we know this is an A or B question. A, his sin. B, his parents' sin. We know that. I mean, everyone knows it's either his (laughs) sin or his parents' sin. You know it. We know it. The Pharisees know it. Is it his sin or their sin? But their binary question was based on what they had heard and been taught by the religious leaders and the rabbis of that day. Some of the rabbis taught that suffering was always because of some specific iniquity, some specific sin. Some believed in... What we would now call reincarnation, preexistent souls that their suffering was due to sins they committed in their previous lifetime. Yes, some Jewish rabbis taught that reincarnation. by the way, if you're good at is it, it's rub been there twice. I mean, there's a lot of odd doctrines in the country even to this day, and, and even in Jewish synagogues in you got it runs the gamut from complete following the Word of God to, wow, uh, I've met rabbi or I've heard of rabbis that say they're atheists so I, I, I don't, don't know how that rectifies at all, but nevertheless, anything is possible with human beings, right? You know, uh, we're flawed, so anything, and literally anything, could happen. Some thought that a baby could sin in the womb. Some rabbis taught that babies could sin in the womb, and the reason they're born blind was sins they were committing in the womb. This is quite the stretch, right? But these were all things that were really taught at that time by some rabbis. And again, not all of them. There was ones that taught the truth. There was ones that had just added their own doctrine. If they couldn't figure something out, don't let the Bible get in the way. Just make it up. <laughs> and in, it's clear that the disciples believe. They're not even hesitating on their question. They're positive. It's either his sin or his parents' sin. It's either A or B, but Jesus says, let me add a C." The C is it's neither it's neither his sin nor his parents' sin in other words it wasn't a specific personal sin now the reason i've i've had two sisters pass you know before the rest of my brothers and sisters and, and One passed at the age of 21 of cancer, and some of you have had lost loved ones. We live in a fallen world, and because of a sin-fallen world, any number of diseases, any number of things can happen to it, any number of airplanes can crash, and wars can happen, and and people didn't get some specific thing that happened to them because of one specific sin. We live in a sin-fallen world. That's true. But, and there are some consequences to sin. Like if you murder someone, the Bible says you get capital punishment. That would be a consequence to a specific sin. Adul- adultery had consequences. We understand that. But they were teaching, the, the Pharisees, that anyone you met, someone had a cleft lip, that was because of sin. Someone had you know, leprosy, that was because of their sin. And that, Jesus was saying, no, 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 no. There's many different reasons. In this specific case... Um, When you look at someone who's been blind since being born, that kind of suffering can cause all of us to say, Lord, why? Why is this? Marcus Dodds was a Scottish theologian and pastor in the 1800s, and he wrote this. He said, what regulates the distribution of suffering? Why is it that while many of the most criminal and noxious of men are prosperous, and we all wonder this sometimes, why is it the most criminal and noxious of men are prosperous and exempt from pain, many of the gentlest and and best are broken and tortured and in constant pain? Why is it that inexplicable suffering seems so often to fall on the wrong people, on the innocent, and not the guilty. We all wonder that when we watch the news. We're like, Lord, why? Why did that baby die in an um, apartment fire when this guy over here is a serial killer? We wonder these kind of things. But then it's just a, a man blind from birth. These questions and these inequities in this fallen world are understandable. We all have them. They cause some people to be atheists. They cause the rest of us to run to Jesus. And in ASAP, even in Psalm 73, he wondered the same thing. He said, why, why do they have not pain? And I'm going through all of this. I'm sure Job had the question. It's perplexing to me when I see, Lord, why would you allow the North Korean believers who are some of the strongest Christians on earth, which nobody cares about them or knows about them. Most Americans can care less about them when they're watching the Super Bowl night, but God cares about them. Now, why would they go through all this? We'll never be able to rectify these things in our minds in this lifetime, in a world that's full of death and full of disease and full of injustice and all the other things that are out there. It's all due to sin that we live in a corrupted world. It's rather than some specific sin, although that can happen and does happen, like I said, again, there are consequences, specific things. You go 100 on I-95, and a radar gun gets you; it'll be specific. It won't be the general sin nature. Tell the officer it's the general sin nature of the world that this happened. He'll say, "Fine, the general fell on your car today. Not the insurance company either. They, you know, we're talking about your ticket." And Jesus, on the other hand, you know, again, is there to help correct the disciples' thinking. And he's going to teach them something through all this while he's going to really touch and transform this life. Charles Spurgeon said this is just good for all of us to remember when we're trying to figure things out instead of just be the hands and feet of Jesus. It It is ours not to speculate, but to perform acts of mercy and love according to the tenor of the gospel. There's too many things that you and I will never figure out. Instead, like the Good Samaritan, just get off your donkey and start helping rather than try and figure it all out. This should have been the disciples' mindset. It should be ours too. And they're learning. Remember, they're, they're in a three-year training program. They're learning and we're learning too. And say, so, Lord, show us you know, really not to always be trying to figure every angle out, but do what we can. Jesus, on the other hand, he has compassion that they missed at this moment. The disciples missed it. Notice that Jesus is the one that finds this man. They notice that Jesus is looking at him. It's not like they said, hey, we found a blind man. As best we can tell, they were just breezing along, and Jesus stops, and they see that his attention is on the blind man. Jesus is the one that finds him. Jesus is the one that knows why he's in that condition. He's the only one that knows why. And in this case, and certainly in other cases it's that the works of God should be revealed in this man. Jesus says that specifically. He said, this happened that the works of God should be revealed. It was just in the text that we read. Notice the plurality. The works of God. What does that mean? Uh, Well, in this man we're going to see healing. Mm -hmm. Physical healing. That's a work redemption, spiritual healing, that's a work, but then the works of God will come out of his life. When God saved me and my wife in 1995, there was that spiritual healing, but since then the works of God, plural, have come. I've told you many times I could never see myself here on a Sunday morning instead of playing beach volleyball or something like that. There, that's not an evil thing, but it's not the works of God that he's called us to. There's things that he's called your life to. And so there's this plurality uh, that's going to take place that the works of God will be revealed in him. Uh, In verse 4 and and 5, look at verse 4 and 5. Jesus said, I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There's going to come a time when we're looking at this in the uh, men's study on Thursday night in the book of Revelation. People will be hiding in the caves from the wrath of the Lamb. You won't be able to work at that time. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Jesus asserts that he must do, and frankly only he can do, the works that he came to do. He must do the works that only he can do that the Father sent him to do, which will include teaching the apostles who at this time were the disciples, teaching them, but also touching, teaching while touching this hopeless and forgotten man that most of society wasn't really focused on at all. And church, don't miss the fact, those of you online as well, don't miss the fact that if Jesus must work, we must work. That God has not called His sons and daughters, everyone has to labor in the vineyard until it's vintage time. Everyone has to labor in the vineyard. That's what Jesus said. And so if Jesus has to work you know we're, we've been called to work because he shouldn't have to. He could sit on a throne, but the God, God the Father sent him to work to do the works of the Father. And Jesus says the night is coming at a time when no one can work. Jesus had a limited time. He had a 33-year span on this earth. By God's providence, that's what He said it's going to be 33 years thereabouts and the last three years was really the whole ministry period. We don't know much about Jesus' first 30 years but that three year period, in that window of time, Jesus shook the world and saved the world by the cross and the empty tomb. Now, you and I, most of us have more than a three year ministry. Uh, I'm called into the ministry but all of you have a ministry No matter where you're at, you're supposed to be lights and witnesses for the Lord. So whatever window you have, only God knows. You only have X amount of time to do the works that God has given you to do. It was true for Christ. It's true for us. And then Jesus repeats here this uh, I am statement. We know there's seven I am statements theologically in the book of John. I am the light of the world. This is the second time he actually says that. And I said every time we see him with the I am statements, I'll pop them up on the screen so you can kind of see where it fits in the book of John. So you can see he's already said once in a, a, back in chapter 8, I am the light of the world. And we see we've got several more still to go. And in the darkness, Jesus is there lighting up not only, well, he's about to light up someone who's in darkness, total blindness, but he's still lighting the way for his disciples to understand how they're to operate in their own future ministries but because he's the light of the world, his light can pierce any form of darkness. Isn't that great to know? That whether people were demon possessed, whether they were steeped in another religion, you meet people that say, man, this person is so cold. They are so, I, I, have a, I have a friend that I used to work with when I was in a corporate America in the technology world, and, and we still communicate, and I hope to have another lunch with him or something. He's a dyed in the wool atheist. I've been trying to win them to Christ for 15 years. And I've been praying. Uh, this year, I've been praying. I told the Wednesday night prayer recently. I've been praying really. Uh, no, I told the men at the Thursday night uh, men's study. I've been praying this year, Lord. I'm praying it when I go on my runs. I'm praying it just riding down the highway. Say, Lord, just, just give me one soul of people that I, it's in my circle. I've, had, I've seen a lot of people get saved outside my circle, like visitors that have come, people that I don't know really well. But I mean, people that I've personally witnessed to, high school friends, college friends, people I worked with in corporate America, people that I've literally, and so far, every single one of them that I've done is like this still. I'm glad you found something you'd like to do as pastorina, all that kind of. I didn't find it. God found me, and trust me. I liked what I did. But I love what I do now, and I'm just telling you that I say, Lord, just want to, I really believe sometime this year, I'll, and if they, I'll tell you, but I can't, unless they say, hey, you can tell who I am and everything else, but you should be praying the same prayer. Lord, people that we have been being a light to for years in our circle, and a bunch of people got encouraged because everyone in the room was like, my circle's not getting saved either, but everyone sees other people. So God is using other people to reach the people that you can't reach. And this blind man, I'm sure his family is like, we can't do anything, but someone they don't even know comes on the scene. He's not just someone. He's the son of God and he can pierce any form of blindness. Verse 6, look at verse 6. When he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay with the saliva and anointed the eyes of the blind man with clay. We'll get to this in just a second. But having set the disciples' doctrine and their priorities in order, Jesus now, nobody saw this coming, spits on the ground, Takes the dust and starts to form it into clay, probably two pieces to put in both eye sockets. Nobody saw that coming. Disciples, you can imagine their thoughts were like, all right, we've seen him do a lot of things. This is a first. Everyone has to be wondered. You can bet there's now a crowd of people. Everything Jesus did in the temple area always attracted a crowd. You can bet there's people watching saying, what in the world is he doing? Spitting on the ground, turning to clay, now putting it on the eye. We can only guess here. But maybe, just maybe. Remember, when you lose one sense, they say that your other senses get stronger. So if you're blind... You smell better, which is great in some instances, but not going to be good in other instances, right? Uh, you will hear better than people. You're, all of a sudden, these, these other senses tune in, and we can only guess here. Now, this man can't see Jesus, but he's heard Jesus' voice. And if he heard Jesus just correcting the disciples, imagine what this would sound like to him, where he has heard many people, not just Pharisees, say, you're in that condition because of your sin, you're in that condition because your parents sin. And all of a sudden a voice and I got to believe Jesus had a voice that Annie would just, everywhere it says his voice would resonate. Mm -hmm. He hears him say it's not his sin or his parents sin but that the works of God are revealed. That alone would make his ears become you know like really tuned like what did he just say? No one's ever said that my condition is something other than my sin and my parents' sin. We can only wonder, he's heard Jesus' voice, perhaps correcting the disciples, well before he's heard Jesus give a command. It appears that immediately this blind man has a level of trust in Jesus, in the voice of Jesus, in the presence of Jesus, even though he doesn't even know who Jesus is yet. He can't see Jesus spit on the ground, but he probably heard Jesus spit on the ground. When you see someone spit, it makes a sound. And again, his hearing would be more attuned uh, than the others. And now others have seen it. They're seeing what he's doing. And let me just say, I don't want anyone's, including my wife's saliva, (laughs) on my eyes (laughs) except for Jesus. In our house, if I don't know who drank out of that water bottle, straight to the recycling it goes. If they didn't mark it, doesn't matter if it was my wife, doesn't matter if it my daughter's. I'm like, and usually it's mine. I'm like, whose is this? And no one claims it, then dump it, and right to the recycle it goes. I, I don't drink at. I'm the only one like this. I don't drink after everyone else in the house. I don't. It's like I don't care whose it is. No, I care whose it is. <laughs> But Jesus' is saliva, he's sinless, he's holy, we're, we're cleansed by his blood, we're cleansed by his blood, he's sinless, he's holy, he is the I am in their presence, I wouldn't mind his saliva, it would be like medicine, Right? And it's noteworthy that God spoke the world into existence from the mouth of God. He spoke the world into existence, and then he formed man from what? The dust of the earth. And it's the mouth of Jesus and the dust that's touching this man's eyes. The one that did the creation at the beginning can reverse everything that's gone wrong since the creation. Perhaps everyone is standing there, mouths wide open, like, what is going on? He stopped paid attention to this guy. He's now spit on the ground. No one spits and turns it into clay and then puts it on the eye sockets of a person. What is going on with all that? And then Jesus gives the command. He answered and said to the man, he says to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. Jesus gives the man the command to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And as it reads in the text, the man is not told what's going to happen if he goes and does that. A lot of times you and I say, follow up question. (laughs) If I go do that, what's going to happen? Is this going to be a good result? No result? Holding pattern? Jesus doesn't say. And the man's level of trust, he doesn't ask a follow up question. He simply goes, he obeys and goes. I want to grow in my faith that I do this more often. Because sometimes I have follow-up questions for the Lord. And I want to get more and more to the place where I just trust and obey for there's no other way, right? You just say, Lord, if you say to do it... By the way, if Jesus tells us anything in the Word, and he's told us a lot of things in the Word, every command he's already given us and everything he'll tell you to do will have a good result if you and I obey. Amen? Doesn't mean it'll be an easy result. Doesn't mean there won't be headwinds and trials and tribulations. But the end result, all things work together for good to those who are called him and called to according to his purpose. Anyone at the scene is probably wondering, what's going to happen? He goes to the pool of Siloam. What's going to happen when he comes back? When he returns, though... Everyone can tell. I don't know how he even got there. If you're a blind person, getting in the pool of Siloam. Do you crawl there? Do you get there with a cane? Do you have a seeing eye dog? Do you have a couple people help you? But it's evident to everybody he doesn't need anyone's help getting back because he can see. He's probably running back. Uh, but at any rate, when he comes back, it's visible to everyone that he has been completely healed. He can see. Can you imagine getting eyesight when you've been blind from birth? You know, Jesus. Remember, the man is sitting there hoping for alms. If you're blind in this world, and you let's say you're not even blind from the world. Let's say you're Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos, and you're a multi-billionaire, and you go blind. Guess what? Your billions can't help you. But Jesus stands there saying, "You want alms? I'll give you something that's worth trillions. How about your eyesight?" Mm-hmm. And so he, now he comes back. He is seen, he's gone from begging to seeing in a matter of moments. Touched by the I am, touched by the great physician, touched by the compassionate Savior. Hopeless to heal in an instant as the hands of Jesus, the saliva of Jesus, the clay that he made, and then the washing in the pool of Siloam. God says all of it, you have to obey every little step although it's the power of God that brings it about. But we receive the things from God through obedience. He received his healing through obedience. If he doesn't go wash in the pool of Siloam, we have a problem here. He stays blind, but he obeys. You and I came to salvation. I obeyed when the Lord said, you must repent and ask me to be your Lord and Savior. I didn't say, well, I would like another option. (laughs) No, it was that... There's not another option. That was the way. Jesus is the way, the truth, and life. So we come, our healing uh, and our soul level is through, we're receiving that through obedience. Have you received the grace of Jesus by the response of obedience? Those of you online, have you received the grace of Jesus through the response of obedience? The locals' reaction to this? This looks like the man who is blind. Yeah, he looks a lot like him. So much like him that it looks identical to him. Others said, it, it, he's like him. He said, no, I am he. You ought to know who he is. Verse 10 and 11, they ask him, uh, they say, how were your eyes open? Verse 11, he answered, is that a man called Jesus? Make clay and anointed my eyes. and said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. He immediately becomes a witness. We were discussing this uh, Thursday night in the men's monthly Bible study as well, the men's monthly fellowship, where the 144,000 that'll be sealed in the book of Revelation uh, after the rapture of the church, they're sealed uh, to be evangelists like John the Baptist or Paul in that seven-year tribulation. Uh, that they're sealed for the work of God, but by the, to be His witnesses. But you and I, if you're saved, you've been sealed with the Holy Spirit to be His witness now, while we still have the light. While we still have the age of grace to be his witness, but he simply testifies, and that's what a witness does for Christ. He simply testifies, "This is what Jesus did for me." And I've told that many times in my life, and I hope you have and will continue. Many Christians have yet to even share their faith once, but God wants you to begin to start telling, them, "This is what Jesus did for me." You don't have to know every doctrine. You don't have to know all the verse in the Bible. You can know what Christ did for you, and that—that's something we can all tell. This is all of our calling. To people still in darkness, they need a man named Jesus to touch them. Amen? Amen. To go from hopeless to made whole. Last point this morning we want to look at. It's in the next section. Pick it up with me in verse 13. Verse 13, they brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Uh Uh-oh. Anytime you bring someone to the Pharisees, it's never a good day, right? Uh, Now it was a Sabbath, double uh uh-oh, when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. They hate Sabbath miracles even more than regular miracles. And the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put clay on my eyes. Good thing he didn't mention the saliva. That would have really incensed them. He just says clay. He put clay on my eyes and washed and see, and, I, and, and, I, and, washed and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. You know, in the, uh, in the law, we'll stop there for a second. In the law, there was plenty of provisions that like if your animal fell in a hole. If you had a cow or a donkey or something fall in the hole, you could get them out on the Sabbath, and that would require work. And by the way, it is a lot harder to get a cow out of a hole. A lot more work than for Jesus to touch someone's eye sockets. But nevertheless, they had a major problem with people being healed on the Sabbath, but didn't have a problem with things like an animal getting stuck and everybody pitching in. Even if your neighbors had to help them get ropes and everything else, that was fine. Of course, that was, that was provisional in the law, but nevertheless. They were really bothered that this man has been healed on the Sabbath. They moving on the passage. uh, Others said, "How can a man who is a sinner do such signs?" There's a reasonable question, and there was division among them. They said to the blind man again, "What do you say about him? Because he opened your eyes." He said, "He is a prophet." The blind man said, "All I know is he's of the order of Elijah." and Moses and Elisha. Now he's done miracles that you, I only re- uh, He couldn't read about him, but he could hear about him because he was blind. But miracles I've only heard about, this man just did for me. So he concluded he was a prophet. and That's true. He is definitely a prophet, but more. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. So they called the parents of him who had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son who's, uh, who you say was born blind? How then does he see? His parents answered them and said, we know that this is our son. Well, of course they should. And that he was born blind. They would know that. But by what means he now sees, we do not know. Or who opened his eyes, we do not know. He is of age. Ask him. He will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews. Now, by the way, whenever you see that term, the Jews, it's the leadership. It's those that hold the power structure. It's not Jewish people in general because John himself is Jewish writing this. So the Jews were those that had the power, those that had the authority, the religious authority specifically. For the Jews had agreed already that if anyone confessed that he was the Christ, he would put out of the synagogue, immediately excommunicated out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So if you're taking notes, this second point: harassed but hopeful. The healed man is now brought to the Pharisees. He's just happy he's got sight, but he's going to meet the most sour lemon group in all of Jerusalem by a mile. Uh, I mean, these guys are nothing makes them happy, um, and so especially things that Jesus does. And they bring him to the Pharisees to show them his healing, and of course, the Pharisees want to rejoice with him and throw a party, right? Not at all. Uh, They ask him how it happens, and once again, he testifies. They are less than impressed that he's healed. They've already said that Jesus has a demon. Remember back in chapter 8, they said he's got a demon, he's a Samaritan. They wanted to stone him, but Jesus uh, made that a non-issue by all of a sudden vanishing in some way, shape, or form from their sight. As they investigate, they are not happy at all. All that a man who's been blind since birth, this should actually change the day for everybody. It should be like a celebration of praising God for everybody, but instead they turn it into a trial. Some people, until they come to know Jesus, cannot be happy unless they're making everybody else unhappy. You ever notice that? Yeah. Until some people come to know Jesus, they cannot be happy unless they are ruining the parade any way they possibly can. If you've been born again, though, and you've put your faith in Christ, you've been touched by God's grace. Do you remember the response of those in your life when they found out you've been saved? Did they throw a party for you if they didn't know Jesus? Did they have the same excitement as you had? Probably not. I remember when when Sarah and I came to Christ uh, June 1995 there in Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, uh, when we would tell people that we knew were still unsaved, our friends, family members, coworkers, that you would get this uncomfortable, awkward, not knowing what to say body language from people like, congrats. <laughs> I'm happy for you. I'm glad you found something. Right? All those kind of things. But uh, not you know, super excited. They just didn't know what to make of it. When we walked forward that day, and this was normal at Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale. I hope it becomes someday normative. Uh, Someday we see tons of people come to Christ here in this church. But when we walked forward on that Sunday, people just spontaneously clapped. And that was normal. We had like 40 people get saved that morning. It was just, God, there was just an anointing there of people getting saved all the time. Wednesday services, Sunday services. And we still have friends of ours that got saved in time. same time that are now being used by the Lord all over in different places and they're still following Christ. It wasn't like a two week thing they're right back in the world. I mean people that really got saved, baptized and have really stayed in the Lord and the Lord has kept them. But, um, but when we told family members and co-workers, they didn't clap. There was no clapping. There was no party. But in parts of the world when you come to Christ and we, we just were with, um, you know, Abraham was talking about some of the dangers uh, that he's gone through being a Christian in Syria and in, in Damascus and when ISIS came through and all the things. In some parts of the world it can be a lot worse than people not clapping for you. It can be people coming for you. Big, big, we got it uh, and as of now, easy compared to the rest of the world, that may not be the case down the road, but Jesus said in uh, Luke twenty-one seventeen, and you'll be hated by all men for my name's sake. That's what he told the to. De- de- the apostles, or later they become the apostles, but that's what he tells the disciples, this is what's coming your direction, is no one's going to be happy that you are in me. No one's going to be happy that I've saved you. But I understand, brother and sister, we, we don't come to faith to be loved by the world. We come to be saved out of this world. Amen. We don't come to be loved by this world. If you wanted to be loved by the world, you just, you just have to go back to the world. And that's not a trade I'm willing to make. How about you? No. I'm not going back. That's my soul is at stake. I'm not going back to darkness. But the Pharisees, uh, almost certainly the religious leaders of the Pharisees, they continue to press. They continue to examine him. It's worth noting, if their theology, by the way, remember their, th- their theology espouses that every single suffering situation is due to a specific sin, oh, this man must be an adulterer, that's why, know he's sinning in the womb, whatever it may be. If their assertion that every specific sin or every specific suffering is due to a specific sin rather than uh, of the fallen nature of the world, then Jesus has just shown them something significant. If he, he doesn't challenge, there's no point there that he's challenging them on their doctrine. He's only talking to the apostles. But... Understand, brother and sister, if Jesus can cure the condition, which they say the condition is from a specific sin, if Jesus can, can, if he can cure the condition, then he also can cure the consequences. And in another place, Jesus basically does confront that. Remember the man is let down on the bed and Jesus says, uh, your sins are forgiven, and he rises up and takes his bed to walk. Jesus says, what I... In other words, he has power over the sin domain and the consequences of sin, i.e. blindness or even the eternal consequences, which is death and hell. So he has power over all of it. And praise God Jesus can cure, brother and sister, our condition and our consequences. That is our salvation. He's cured our condition and the consequences of the fact that we are born sinners. That's something we can't change. And praise God that uh, he's done that for so many of you uh, here and so many online. But the Pharisees, they have no joy in the man's healing. (laughs) They're just incensed that he was healed on the Sabbath. Talk about raining on the parade, right? Just incensed. Can't believe he's not of God. But a little glimmer of hope here, and this might be Nicodemus speaking up for the first time. He is a Pharisee. A few asked a legitimate question, can a sinner do these signs? And would a sinner do these signs? And why would a sinner heal a man? And where would they even get the power to heal a man? They ask him in verse 17, who do you think Jesus is? He says, a prophet. Even some of the prophets in the Old Testament uh, raised the dead. God gave that kind of power uh, to some uh, situations with the prophets, but the leaders say, no way, he is not a prophet. They don't believe Jesus is a prophet, so they certainly aren't going to believe um, that this man has been healed in any way from God. They don't believe Jesus is from God. They don't believe Jesus was sent from God. And they doubt the man altogether. They doubt he was even ever blind. There's thing, the whole thing is concocted. He wasn't blind. You know, these are the guys that would never... Uh, every now and then, th- this is a domain for men. Your wives will say, how did you never notice that? <laughs> I, I have had this happen in my house, where I have had my wife say, we've had that for like 10 years. <laughs> You're just now noticing that. And so these Pharisees in that realm may have never even noticed the blind man. They're like, get his parents. And everyone else is like saying, he's been out here for like years. You guys have never seen him blind? I mean, just think about the things you see sometimes. They had to go get his parents. These guys are so focused on themselves, they literally could have walked by him a lifetime and never noticed him once. At least the apostles noticed him. Go get his parents. Like, uh, he's all, even, even the low-level like servants probably could have said, he's been there forever. <laughs> I said, never noticed him? Oh, we look way above him. We don't even look down. You know, the low underlings like him we don't pay any attention to at all. But just like some of today's dishonest leaders, and we have plenty of them, they may not believe what's taking place. But they also have a little bit of doubt in their own belief, which is why they decide to use intimidation. If you can't get people to believe on basic facts, you have to intimidate. And so they decide to intimidate the parents and say, the parents already understood when they were asking the question, the parents knew that they're asking these questions to excommunicate. If we answer incorrectly, we're out of here. He calls the parents, and the parents verify. They deftly affirm. They, they were pretty skilled. They knew the Pharisees, how they operate. They deftly uh, are able to say, no, this is our son and he absolutely has been blind from birth and he's absolutely been healed, but we don't know how. He's old enough. Ask him yourself. And so they have to ask him directly how he's been healed. And he goes ahead and says, and we'll look at more of this uh, next week when we pick up the other part. We don't have time to cover the rest of the passage. We're going to have a part two of this next week. But uh, when you get saved, there's time that you're just going to have to speak on your own. You're going to have to speak. You're going to have to open your mouth and say, Jesus did this for me. Jesus has changed my life. In Matthew 10, 32, Jesus said, You will therefore, conf- whoever, therefore, whoever confesses me before men, I will confess before my Father in heaven. He also goes on to say, whoever denies me before men, I will deny before my Father. I don't believe that people lose their salvation, but if you really are saved, you will Name the name of Jesus and you will not run and hide, but you'll let your light so shine among men and be a witness and you'll open your mouth and say I'm not perfect, but I have been forgiven and Jesus can do the same for you. Our conversion from Jesus begins a calling of testifying of Jesus. In this last verse, we're going to bring it to a close here in verse 23. This last verse where they said he's of age, uh, his parents, he's of age, ask him Uh, we need to be telling the world what Jesus has done for us. This man was telling them that he had been delivered from being blind. We're telling people we are delivered from the same born and darkness of sin and Jesus delivered us from our born condition which is the darkness of sin and even the certainty of death. And related to that, uh, we then live in such a way, we live such an obviously and transformed life that people start asking us things. And I've heard some of y'all's testimonies say, I had some work just asked me this. And I, you know, I went to, it was a place I was at yesterday and I uh, thought I was there for one reason. The whole reason I was there didn't happen at all. Turned and talked to someone, ended up inviting them to church and tell them about the Lord and, may, and then they asked me some questions, and we should live in such a way that people are asking us. And then the third, uh, this man was happy and joyful. The Pharisees are not happy and joyful. We should live joyfully. The world should see that we have a joy now that we're not miserable. That was where, who we were before today. Now we know uh, our sights are set on heaven, and we have a reason to rejoice. Amen? <laughs> Jesus opens our eyes. Let me close it. He opens our eyes that we will then now open our mouth and confess him in a world that needs him. Amen? Amen. And we start noticing the people that the Pharisees, even the disciples, miss altogether. We would not miss them. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for this time again this morning that your word teaches us, it instructs us, it Lord trains us in righteousness. And we're thankful that uh, most of us in here have been touched by the grace and mercy of God. You have given us by your shed blood and your death and resurrection, the gift of salvation. But we had to respond with obedience. We had to call upon your name and confess and turn from our sins. And then you have done this great work. But Lord, there may be someone here this morning that has not yet done that. They've, they've, they don't know. They didn't know until today that they're in darkness and you're looking right at them right now. Lord, you may be looking at someone online or someone sitting here, you know their name. I don't even know their name, but you are looking right at them. They may not know that you've been looking at them for years and wanting to heal them and take them out of the guilt and shame of their sins and give them a home in heaven and save them from the eternal consequences of hell. And Lord, you are looking at them, whether they know it or not, with eyes of love and compassion and grace.